This is Scott Bakula, and you're listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Hey gang, Chris here. So, for newer listeners who may not know, Quantum Leap Podcast host Matt Dale is kind of a big deal in Quantum Leap fandom for writing the be-all, end-all Quantum Leap encyclopedia, Beyond the Mirror Image, the Observer's Guide to Quantum Leap. Matt recently launched a Kickstarter campaign to fund a second edition of BTMI, and I was so stoked about it that I kind of ambushed him during our latest episode of Fangent. Fangent is one of our Patreon bonus shows where we talk about other cool stuff we're into aside from Quantum Leap. So I figured, what could be cooler than going deep into the mind of Matt Dale? And you know what? We're all so proud of Matt that we decided to release the show on the main feed to give the new edition of Beyond the Mirror Image the biggest push possible. So check out the show notes for this episode for a direct link to the Kickstarter page and consider supporting the amazing work Matt is doing. A caveat, we don't edit profanity out of the Patreon shows, and this episode contains around 20 swear words, I counted. Mostly gratuitous F-bombs, and mostly from me, so consider yourself forewarned, and make it into a drinking game or something. And special thanks to our patrons who make these bonus shows possible, including our producers Joshua Burwald, Craig Riedler, Jeff Kiska, Cosplay Dad, Charles Allen Gossard, and Morgan Felden. We couldn't do it without you. Now, without further ado, here's Fangent 8. Cue the Jazz Trio. Welcome to Fangent, everyone. It's what we're talking about when we're not talking about Quantum Leap. I'm Christopher DeFilippis, your host. Who's with me? I'm Alison Pregler, <laughs> and also host. <laughs> and I'm the other host, Matt Dale, the British one. <laughs> that guy, that British guy. <laughs> this is also what happens when your hosts, I think this is plural, have a show to get out by Thursday and really don't have anything to talk about because that's me today. So I'm just winging this one from the seat <laughs> of my pants. Winging is what we do best. <laughs> so, Matt, I'm going to ambush What's... you right now. I'm going to ambush What's... you. What's... Um, I know you have been all consumed with the second edition, volume one of <laughs> Beyond the Mirror Image. And uh, I know that uh, I have also been somewhat consumed with the level of success that you've had with your crowdfunding. And I'm just so damn proud of you. I could bust. Oh, thank you. Let's tell everybody about what? this. I want to talk about BTMI <laughs> just for a little bit. I wasn't. I actually wasn't expecting you to do this. this I know you weren't, but I was the one that interviewed you for the podcast proper when the first edition yes. came out. So I want to know a little bit about the process because I know that you are as unprepared as I am for this because you've been just completely swamped with the revisions. Do you mind, Allison, that I'm already hijacking this with Matt stuff for, for the time being? No, the last one, I dominated the whole thing. Uh, uh, like you, totally unprepared. So let's do it. <laughs> and last time we spoke about this, funny that, y yeah, you should mention that interview because, yeah, this was, what, going back to 2016, and I, I was not used to talking on mic, and... We had a time slot where there was going to be a call and, and me and my buddy Kevin, who's my co-editor, were due to get a call from you. And it was like, oh my God, there's a serious guy going to interview us. This is terrifying. <laughs> and my heart was racing. 
<laughs> it's funny we speak every week now. I was going to say, little <laughs> did you know that I'm just a guy, you know? But you you were so good at putting us at our ease. Anyway, I just wanted to say that six years too late. That was uh, that was a good interview for, from the point of view of a, a terrified kid pretending that he, he was somebody. Well, I mean, pretending is a strong word. You did put together the premier resource for a quantum leap that exists. So I, I don't think that's pretending, but... I want to talk specifically right now, and then I'm going to broaden out, but one of our running jokes on the show is that you don't listen to the podcast because <laughs> I don't I don't know that you I think the genesis of that was that you don't like your voice or you're uncomfortable listening to yourself or or whatever. I don't I, I don't know what the fuck, but you <laughs> cite the podcast so extensively in the first edition of yeah. the uh, uh, of the book. So have you now been going back and actually <laughs> listening to our show for the second edition or have you have you, oh. have, you have, have you started scaling that hill yet? <laughs> Chris, did you have to ask that? I've been dodging this conversation for weeks now. <laughs> I know. Um, and I want you to sweat now. I was the nice guy on our first interview, but fuck you. Yeah. I'm putting the screws to you. What goes on over there? We got the lamp in his face grilling him. <laughs> Part of the reason I don't listen to the podcast is a timing thing, and we we know I'm going to have more free time later in the year, and I promise I will listen to the podcast. For now, no, what I've been doing uh, in researching for the guide, and I've done it with uh, Fate's Wide Wheel as well, because I had a ton of their stuff that I've not heard yet, is uh, I took out a subscription to otter.ai, which is um, a really cool online automated transcription service. And I've been uploading every episode of the podcast to that so I can read the podcasts uh, rather than listen to them, which is so much quicker. For entertainment purposes, I do not recommend it, so I'm not suggesting our listeners do that. It's a terrible experience, but it does mean that in terms of just picking up facts and figures, and like, oh, there's a quotable bit here and there, I can get through a podcast in like 10 minutes and pick out the relevant bits instead of the two hours or whatever that they last. So it's efficient. It's not fun, but it's very efficient. So yeah, I'm afraid I've been reading all the stuff that we've said over the last few years. <laughs> that explains a lot because you have been, you know, quoting us back to us here and there a little bit over yes. the last couple of months. And I'm just like, is he? Is yeah. He? What's he doing? What's going on over there? So, wow. Yeah, there's like, there's a bunch of Fates Wide Wheel that I've listened to because, you know, that doesn't have my voice on it. But then, uh, yeah, to speed things up, I ended up switching to transcripts for the second half as well. And um, and Beckett to the Future as well, all of their transcripts. Just, wow. yeah, I have a massive archive now of badly transcribed podcast scripts. Do you ever pull uh, like a quote from something and then have to go back to the actual podcast to confirm that the transcript is correct? Or do you trust this program enough to get it right? If I'm actually quoting from an interview, I always use the transcript just to get the time code so I can then go back and listen and transcribe it myself. But a lot of what I get from the podcast is also things like just observations that you or Alison have made. And I realized, oh, I didn't, I hadn't thought of that. And just, just reading that, even though it's terribly written out, is enough to get me thinking and, and be able to put it in the book in my own words. But then, yeah, any actual citations, all back to the original audio. Co-author credit for us. We're, we're writing <laughs> yeah. it for you. Give us all our royalties. <laughs> We've been chumps from the beginning, Allison. Suckers. 
<laughs> that was his whole reason for being on this podcast. You know why he doesn't listen? He's just writing down all these facts like, <laughs> I haven't watched Quantum Leap in six years. <laughs> Yeah. If there was a longer game to be played, I don't know if I could find it. But wow, you are really, really committed. He was the evil leaper all along. Twirly mustache. Because he's evil. <laughs> well, that's awesome, though. And like, I totally get like the efficiency of it, though. And um, and also the need to, to look back if you're quoting something directly, because absolutely do not trust those things to no. give you an exact translation in any way. But it can give you the gist. Yeah, and it's just enough that you think, oh, okay, that's Deborah talking about something that happened in rehearsals. I know that's going to be interesting. I'll go and pull that back out. Yeah, especially the interviews, too. Like, I imagine a lot of the translation stuff is getting through all of us windbags, and then you get to, like, the interviews, and then you want to, like, listen a little more closely to the people who were actually involved with the show. Yeah. But those, for for anyone doing any kind of similar projects where there's there's a lot of audio to get through for some kind of research. Those transcription services are great. As I say, I use Otter, but I found a few out there that were, that look very similar. It might be helpful, too, for people who have um, auditory processing issues. Uh, same people mm. that rely on subtitles. Even if you're not necessarily hard yeah. of hearing, sometimes it helps to have some words to kind of help you follow along a little bit. Yeah. Otter does this sort of... It's like an interactive um, thing as well, so it comes up with the words, the transcription, and then you can play the audio back alongside it, and it highlights the words as it goes along. So, Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, it gives you a proper interactive pitch. So you can listen to it, and then, like you say, you almost have subtitles that you're reading along with, which isn't how I did it, because that does make you do it in real time. But it, it's a way of enjoying the podcast with something extra. Yeah, I imagine it'd be similar to like people who uh, use uh, auto captions on YouTube when there's not subtitles yes. provided. Like, it won't be an exact translation, but it can help with some stuff. That is fascinating to me. I have a broader question for you, and then I'm going to focus back down on into BTMI. Do you, as a habit, listen to any podcasts regularly? I'm not saying this to set you up to say, why don't you listen to ours? But <laughs> I have a ton of don't miss podcasts. I'm a podcast addict. I mean, I listen to them all the time, but there are just like two or three that once they come out, everything else goes aside. And those are what I listen to. Do you like podcasts in general? Are you a fan of the medium? Um, it's not something I've ever really got into. And I, I think some of that goes back to the the fact that I didn't really know much about podcasts or what they were or what the point was until I started researching for the first edition. And then I pulled up all of Albie's original episodes. Although I was listening to them in real time while I was at the gym and stuff, I was already listening to them with kind of a research head on. I was listening to Enjoy, but I was also thinking about what might be useful for the book. So I probably came into podcasts in quite a biased way. I'd love to listen to some good ones that I can just kick back and enjoy. But it's it's been finding the time. As I say, I'm I'm hoping later this year I will do. So if you have some to recommend. Oh, I got tons, tons. But this is so surreal that I'm talking to the co-host of my podcast, our (laughs) podcast, who has no interest in listening to podcasts. (laughs) And I think we have a pretty goddamn good podcast. (laughs) 
it's it's i'm sure we've got an amazing podcast but I, yeah i have no i have i have no frame of reference i'm sorry but i, I you know and we've spoken about this off mic for definite and I'm, we've probably spoken about it on mic as well that a lot of what we come here for is because we love talking to each other once a week i'm just talking to a couple of friends for a couple of hours with a bit of research in advance and the fact that you then go and work your editing magic and create a podcast out of it is it's just i don't know it's a foreign point to me except when years later i then go and take that and look at the transcription and start stealing <laughs> stuff but it's it's not why i'm here i'm not here to make a podcast i'm here to uh, to catch up with you guys so that may change um when i when i do yeah experiment with some podcasts I'd love to listen to a good Star Trek one, because Star Trek's that kind of level where I can really get into it, but I'm definitely never going to write about Star Trek, so I can just enjoy oh, it. Oh, you picked the exact wrong topic, because there are 20 gazillion Star Trek podcasts Yeah, I figured. There. I figured. Yeah, so, I mean, finding the one that's for you... But that means that you got choices, though. It's like, do you want a funny one? Do you want a serious one? Do you want analytical? Do you want something that's more uh, just talking about episodes? Do you want to talk about, like, ship models or other little minutiae? I mean, they got all sorts of different wow. topics for Star Trek. It's not like... A quantum leap. You, you got. You, you're gonna have your fate wide. Fate's wide wheels. You're gonna have your quantum leap podcast. You're gonna have Beckett's to the future. You're gonna and you're gonna like them. You're gonna have them <laughs> before you get your dessert. You take what you get. <laughs> All right. Now I'm gonna turn the tables, Allison. Now I'm turning the light on you. The spotlight's on your face. I didn't know you before we co-hosted together on the uh, your discovery on the special that we did for the QLP. And I know that you said that you have done your own Charmed podcast in the past, but as a rule, are you a podcast fan? Yeah, I do. The thing is, I, I like podcasts, but I have to have something to do while I'm listening to them. I can't just sit and listen. I have to keep my hands busy. This is the same thing when I'm doing anything, really. Like, if I'm watching a show, I don't, I'm not just watching a show. Like, I'm, like, playing a game or I'm doing something. So sometimes it's difficult to find things to, to occupy myself while I'm listening to it. Generally, I'll listen to podcasts when I'm working out or uh, sometimes if there's mm. a road trip, uh, the podcasts are really good for that. There's not a lot of them I listen to just every single one all the time. I mean, like uh, like every time it comes out, I'm like, I have to listen to this. But there are ones I've listened to like quite a bit of. For uh, Star Trek, I love Greatest Generation. They're super funny. They go over episodes um, comically, but they're also very um, – they look at it with a critical eye. So, you know, they – it's not just like, let's be goofy. They are thinking about like the themes and what's going on. Cool. They're really funny. And they're on MaximumFun.org, which is a, a rival podcast network. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but they're huge. I mean, if you've heard of My Brother, My Brother and Me, which yeah, is also- Max a, Fun. Yeah, they, um, they're on there. And uh, that's another podcast I super enjoy. Super funny. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, they're great. Uh, and I do still have a charm podcast, by the way. <laughs> People oh, want to listen. Still, you're still doing it. I'm still doing it. I'm just not talking about the reboot anymore. Uh, it's not like a, a weekly thing. It's just when we have time to do it. My husband and I um, host uh, Charmed Rewind, and we use a random number generator and votes on Patreon, and we just talk about random episodes of the original show. Oh, that's great. Cool. So, who edits that? Um, a friend of ours, uh, Peter Hunter, edits. We pay him to edit it. We pay an editor. 
<laughs> and he's great. Good plan. I was waiting for you to say, I make fail and do that because he's my husband and he has to. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, I mean, um, I used to edit them, but I just didn't have time to do it anymore. I was like, I was killing myself. So I was like, I finally like um, hired a professional to do it for me. And it's been it, like, I had to give up that control. You know, that's that hard to give up control. That but, is... But yeah, and I know that the patrons are the ones listening to this, and I know that I've been on a fucking mission for the last two months to get more patrons to pay an editor. But at the same time, I am a fucking control freak, and it's going to be hard for me to let go. The only person, or I say two people, because Allison, you did a couple of episodes of our show, and they were amazing. They were better than anything I ever did, and listening to your edits of our podcast actually inspired me to do a better job on my edits of our podcast. Aww. And Albie. I give anything to Albie. He has it done, like, lickety-split, and it's perfect. And it's just like, I have to cycle away from Allison and Albie? I don't know if I can do it. I really have to let that go. I need your perspective on that because this is my baby. And I love being here on mic with you guys, but I also love being the arbiter of what the show sounds like and how we present ourselves and that we always put our best foot forward. And I'm thinking some random schlub that's doing it for a paycheck I gotta find the right random schlub. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it helps if you if you hire friends or people you know already. <laughs> like, I, right. like, yeah, I hired someone that like I know and uh, also works with audio and is a good friend of ours. So, like, um, yeah, it helps because if it is someone who's just you're hiring off of you know some website that hires out podcast editors or whatever i don't know exactly how you go about it but if you're doing that like i i get like it would be i would be more nervous about it but um it's it's helpful if it's someone that you're already familiar with yeah uh allison what are your rates one of my rates. <laughs> You're one of two that I'm already familiar with who I trust. <laughs> you can't afford me. I won't get out You're of right, bed I know. <laughs> for that much money. <laughs> I tried. I had to try. I had to try. So, yeah. It's funny. It's funny. I mean, I, I love going into the weeds and the minutia because um, it's what we do and – we rarely get to talk about it. We're always talking about the show. We're always talking about other stuff, other projects, whatever. But just getting into the weeds of the process of, of the creation that we constantly are, you know, endeavoring towards. I, I, to me, this is very interesting. I don't know if you guys, you know, paying for our patron feed are interested in this, but I'm going to talk about it for a little while longer because it's so part and parcel of what we do and we never get to explore it. And, this is me going back to BTMI. Matt, I'm turning the spotlight back on you. Allison, you can Aww. breathe a little bit easy now. All right? So calm down. All right. Uh, I'm going to be the good cop with Matt. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, Matt, what was the catalyst for you to say, I need to start the second edition? Um, that never happened because the second edition never really started. So I, I've shared this with a few people, but um, stuff keeps coming. Stuff keeps happening. There's new podcasts all the time. There's new interviews all the time. There's new information coming to light. So back in 2016, I just became very much of the view that I couldn't wait until the book was finished before releasing it because it just doesn't finish. So I just set myself a deadline, got to a point where I was happy with the wording in it, 
and I had all the facts and figures that I knew at the time, and I closed off the Kickstarter campaign, and I sent it off to print and everything like that. But within about 24 hours of that, I was back to editing the original file. Wow. And I've been doing that for the last six years. Um, <laughs> really is playing the long game. That's what he does. Holy shit. We're all pawns of Matthew Dale. All of us. <laughs> I did that. I, I was I added a lot over the first six months or so, and then I did kind of think, well, I, apart from anything else, I had a had a newborn and I had other things going on in my life and there was I I spent a lot of time on Quantum Leap, so I, I let myself fall behind a bit. And then early this year, there was some news, something that inspired me to get my arse in gear. And yeah, when, when news broke about the, the reboot, I was like, right, okay, this is the year that the second edition's got to happen. Got to get back in the saddle, get back on that horse, you know? Absolutely. But my files were still there, and the last time I'd edited them had probably only been a few months previously. So I just increased the pace a bit and started getting things organised and, and moving all the pieces into place so that by this autumn there would be another polished edition out there. And, yeah, will there be a third edition six years down the line? I don't know if there's going to be enough to talk about. No, are you kidding? There's going to be a whole new series. Season six of the new show, you're going to be like, I just got too much information. Exactly. Right, so this, this is one of the reasons I've, I've split it the way I have. So volume one, because I've had to split it uh, into into two volumes just because of the space. So volume one is the episodes from the original series, and then volume two is the new series plus the appendices. So volume two, I could see getting periodic updates every few years. The idea is volume one, hopefully, will be the last word on it. Volume two, volume two? <laughs> yeah, there, there might be a volume two second edition. I don't, I don't know, but that would be years off. But volume one, I mean, at the end of the day, volume one, this should be the last word on it. But if a few months down the line, someone says something about leap of faith that I didn't know, where am I going to put it? I'm going to open up my file and, and add it in there. Yeah. And, yeah, maybe eventually... But I, I don't know. I don't want to um, damage sales of the second edition where people start thinking, wow, no, I'll wait until 2028 when he does the third edition. Um, <laughs> I might be dead. <laughs> yeah. But it, yeah, at the end of the day, I can't stop researching this stuff. It just, it's absolutely part of my DNA now. And I, I need somewhere to put it. So yeah, that was how the second edition started. It started a day after I went to print on the first edition. Amazing. So my follow-up question to that is... Because as you just indicated, you have a finite amount of material to work with as far as like making a quote series guide. Yeah. So what are the areas of interest that keep evolving that make you think I might need not just the second edition that we are going to talk about uh, the whole you know evolution of that and the amazing progress you've made in such a short time that's coming next. So prepare but <laughs> what elements of that first edition keep evolving to the point where okay we have our 97 episodes we know everything that went on with those 97 episodes what's new what do you keep on figuring out are there specific content areas that you focus on beyond the plot synopses and just the show itself what evolves in this process for you there's a ton of small bits, but I think the two biggest things that have happened over the last six years, anyone that's got the first edition 
may have noticed, I certainly did, that the the word count drops off a little bit per episode after... Um, what was the first episode that we did? Runaway. Was it Runaway? It was Runaway. Yeah. Runaway was ours, yep. Rebel was Albie's last, Runaway was our first. We'll always have Runaway. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's around about then that the word count drops, because the first few seasons I had all those interviews, I had Albie's insights as well as my own, mm-hmm. but there, there was so much behind-the-scenes information that was just coming out of the podcast interviews alone, like Black and White on Fire. There's about an extra page and a half, two pages of quotes that just wasn't in the first edition, just because of the great interviews that primarily Chris has done over the last few years. So that adds so much colour to the book now, where it starts to, in seasons four and five in the first edition, it starts to go a little bit more to just, all right, here's where you see the hand link, and all right, (laughs) they filmed a scene on the 13th of September, yeah. All that cool stuff of people actually remembering what it was like to be on set tails off in seasons four and five, but not anymore. Now, season four and five are full of actual bits of information. Heck yeah. Thank you for adding that, because it sounded to me like the second Alvi stopped the podcast, in your estimation, it went to total fucking shit, and I got nothing <laughs> to pull from now. So it's going to be it's gonna be a shitty book from now on, because Chris... <laughs> But you no, but you can tell you can tell when in the timeline of the podcast you can tell when I published because there's just there's so much good material there. The other thing is I had about a third of the episodes I had draft scripts of. So it's very patchy and that that goes just throughout the series. There's no it's no specific season. There's about a third of the episodes where I was able to refer to draft scripts and there was a cutscene section uh, that actually details them, but also in some of my observations and some of the production goofs and stuff like that, I could say, ah, well, the reason for this is probably because of this deleted scene, etc. And Alison went out and started sourcing so many scripts. And we've got to the point between us now where there's like three or four episodes where we don't have a single draft script and all the rest of them, we've got that and we can talk about it. So that adds a whole lot. And it surprised me just how much colour that gives all of the sections because I keep referring back to those deleted scenes and and so on outside just the cutscenes section. So that gives a lot more to play with. And um, just all the people who've come forward, like fans that have come forward over the last six years and said, hey, Matt, I love your book. By the way, I noticed you missed this thing, which to me is really obvious, but you know, I, I happen to have some paperwork here that I'm sure you must have had this. No, I didn't. Because I wrote the first edition pretty much in isolation. And this one is the result of six years of being out there in fandom and readers of the book contributing. Almost unwittingly, but whenever these people come forward, I always say, oh, wow, that's that's really great. Do you mind if I include, if and when I do a second edition, can I include some information from that? And they always say yes. And so there's, I've just been compiling this stuff as people have spoken to me. So it's, it's really a, a team effort across the fandom. It's great. Like when people come forward, they just want to share. You know, people are just like, yeah. this is a cool thing. I want to tell you about this cool thing. And that's so awesome when um, they reach out and want to share that thing with you. And I'm uh, really looking forward to seeing what else is in there. I'm sure we haven't heard of everything. 
Today, there was a guy that emailed me saying, oh, yeah, I, I never got around to buying the first edition, um, but I've just seen the Kickstarter for the second edition. I'm a big fan of retro music. I used to work in an old record shop, and I started putting together a list of all of the uh, the tracks that got used in Quantum Leap. You probably have all this stuff, but, uh, hey, I thought you might be interested in chatting about it. And he sent me this spreadsheet. And I'm like, I've got about... And, and have always had about 95% of the tracks listed, but there were a handful of gaps that had eluded me. Wow. And some th- tracks that I just never even noticed because they get played so quietly in the background. And this guy just came out of nowhere to say, you probably know this, but here you go. Whoa. <laughs> I missed you back in five minutes, like saying, right, you've got an acknowledgement in the credits for the book now. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Because you've just <laughs> filled in almost all the blanks uh, and corrected a couple of mistakes for me as well, where I'm not as big a fan of the music and I was saying things like oh yeah well obviously K-Sarah-Sarah in Genesis is is by Doris Day and he's like no no it's not the Doris Day version I promise it's not oh wow. Wow. really so he's he's corrected a few things so it's these kind of people that have levels of expertise outside the Quantum Leap world that I've been able to pull on and that that's always fascinating to me when you get people that are like well I quite like Quantum Leap, but I've got a particular interest in medicine or I've got a particular interest in music or something. And and with my expertise, I just want to share with you, Quantum Leap screwed this up or your first edition screwed this up. And all of those things are starting to really make it a completely different book. This is like the ultimate collaboration, man. It's, It's hugely collaborative. It's like, uh, unintentionally, the people that have that have contributed know they've contributed, but they didn't know they were contributing when they reached out to me. To me, that's the most fascinating part about fandom is when fandoms collide. I've used that mm. phrase, you know, jovially uh, in the past because it happens so often. But like for me with Quantum Leap, it was Quantum Leap and my love of radios. For this dude, it was Quantum Leap and his love of obscure tracks. I'd love to know that wasn't Doris Day. I, I to this day, I thought to this second, I thought that was the Doris Day yeah. case. Yeah, me too. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Who yeah. was that? Who no. was it? You have to read the book. You have to read the book. <laughs> he doesn't know, unfortunately. That's one of two question marks. If we can figure out who did that and who did what'll I do in Runaway. Because there's multiple recordings of what'll I do, and none of them match the version that's in Runaway. Those are like the two big question marks in music in Quantum Leap. Everything else we got down. I wonder if they had them recorded for the episode for cheaper reasons. You know, like sometimes they do covers of songs for shows, uh, specifically for the shows, just because it's cheaper to do that than to license out something from a known artist. That's the only answer that makes sense. And the funny thing is that because they want to make it period specific, because Allison, I understand what you're saying, but a lot of the time they do like really fucking shitty versions of songs you love <laughs> they because they yeah. need they need to hep it up. They need to, you know, make it more modern. But it seems to me like if you're doing a time travel show, you want to make something as close to what everybody considers the original as possible. Matt, let me ask you this. I got... God, this has to be years ago, but bear with me. I was in a car wash and I saw the CD rack where they have the CDs for like a buck, 99 cent CDs. Yeah. Best of the platters. I love the platters. 99 cents, best of the platters. Oh, magic touch and suntails in the sunset or, you know, whatever. I listened to every track 
And it was not the track that we knew from the radio. They were basically, it seemed like, alternate versions from the studio that never made it to an official Platters album, but the Platters were still singing it. Oh, how weird. Yeah. I wonder if they maybe found like an off Doris Day CD. Hmm. Well, sometimes there's there's alternate covers or B-sides or other versions of songs that artists do. Like sometimes they re-record them for best of albums or like later things as well. Like there's all sorts of different scenarios where you get different covers of the same songs by the band. I'm not sure what with Doris Day. Uh, maybe it is a different version. Maybe it's just someone else. Yeah, I mean, so you might want to start like combing through the... Um 99 cent bin of your local uh, gas and sip and see if you can find the version. <laughs> I was just thinking about there's that CD that's like TV hits theme songs and it's got Quantum yeah. Leap on the front and all of them, all of the versions of the theme songs are versions that they've made themselves really cheaply and really shittily. Have you listened to that CD now? I did. It's hilarious. <laughs> the version of Quantum Leap is the funniest and the worst cover on that album if you want to hear an extended all of them are extended to song length <laughs> an extended crappy cover <laughs> of the quantum leap theme song you got to get the cd it's green it says tv hits or something and it's got quantum leap on the front hilarious so maybe that's the case there maybe they're like let's do a shitty <laughs> version of this song <laughs> let's do a crappy cover of Kesara Sara. there's one other thing i want to share just in terms of like people stepping forward and being wonderful and um this is going to be quite niche and it's not going to matter to most of the audience but any french listeners will appreciate this right for the first edition there's a whole load of bits in there where i've got hold of the german translations of the episodes and the french translations and the spanish translations and the italian translations and where there's interesting bits in the episode like where some of the characters have lines that aren't there in the English versions and all of the episode titles as well I got them all translated and for all of the other countries apart from France I was able to find a native speaker who was able to help me with the translations for the first edition for France which is odd because it's like the closest country to me the best I could manage was someone who is is of French descendant, but grew up in the UK. Her French is a bit wobbly, and she wasn't really that interested in helping me, but bless her, she tried her best. And um, on the Kickstarter campaign, I shared out a few sample pages from the first edition, and a French guy reached out to me and said, it's lovely, but th that's that's all wrong. So can I help you uh, fix that for the second edition? <laughs> so I'm now I'm now sending him a whole bunch of audio files and stuff saying, yeah, can you can you tell me what this actually says? So it's only it's minor. It's like things like tenses and um, genders and stuff like that. But it's um, there's just bits and pieces that he was saying, yeah, needs need tidying up. So that again, it's great. So it's, it's a, a Quantum Leap fan who said, I am also a French national and can help you fix this. So all that kind of stuff is coming together. Awesome. That to me is kind of fascinating because when you're creating something you want to make sure that you have some sort of internal consistency. Yes. And this goes to um, a message you sent me this morning about <laughs> yes. how do I spell this versus how do I spell this? And is there a journalistic standard? And no, there really isn't. But when you are considering all of this stuff, what 
are the micro things that you look at. And then I want to get into the more macro things, but I feel like you're trying to cater to every audience because should I spell color with a U or not? Yeah. Where have you come down on that? I mean, do you want to make it an American audience? Do you want to make it a UK audience? Or is it just, this is Matt's book, and this is me, Matt. This is the way I speak and spell shit, and you guys are just going to have to deal with it. Like, have you figured out that line yet? Well, I did for the first edition, and I've got to admit, I'm I'm having a bit of a wobble today, which is why I, I reached out to you. And again, that speaks to using the expertise around me. I did not have anybody with any kind of journalism background that I could check in with last time around, so I was able to ask an expert. But yeah, it's um the first edition. I very much took the stance. This is an international book. There is no no right or wrong. But I am a British author, so surely the right way is to use British spelling throughout, except when I'm quoting American paperwork, when it would be wrong to correct in inverted commas the text to be British English. But then, yeah, I I get like. The examples that we were talking about today, like, you know, if I say, well, in the episode of called The Colour of Truth, Sam leaps into someone of a different colour instantly in that sentence, because Colour of Truth has to be spelt C-O-L-O-R, because that's the name of the episode. But then because I'm writing in British, I add a U in. And then if we interview Deborah Pratt and she says, you know, colour is really important to me, well, I'm quoting her, but I'm quoting her verbally, so I would use a U. But then if I'm quoting the paperwork, uh, like a bit in the script or something, that's something that's written without the U. So I flip-flop back and forth, and there is a definite pattern to it, but I I am starting to wonder if I should just give up and, and shift to American <laughs> Americanisms throughout. I don't think you should. I tried to be clever about it where possible as well, and one of the things that came up this weekend, um, and Hayden's doing proofreading for me at the moment, and, and he picked up on this. At the start of every episode, I pick a quote that symbolises the episode to me, and this goes back to the first edition. The Americanization of Machico, the quote that I picked, includes the word Americanization which, of course, I spell with an S because that's the way that it should be spelt. And I don't know why, of all the cool lines in that episode why I chose one that had the word Americanization in it. So if I just change to a different quote, the problem goes away. And yeah, it's the same thing with colour. I try and use synonyms that just don't make that so much of an issue. And then I can get away with being British without it being obvious. Well, I brought this up just to give everybody an indication of sort of the way you torture yourself, just like how far down <laughs> you drill to yeah. make it the best you possibly can. Like this is stuff that I think most of us wouldn't even think about. And this is stuff that is like foremost on your mind. Like you're asking me, is there a journalistic rule? Well, not really. I mean, just follow the rules of whatever language you're writing in and you should be okay. As an American reading something by a Brit, I would love every difference in colloquialism that you can give me Aww. because for you, that's a thankless morass. You know, like you can't know every single idiosyncrasy of every language. So just write it the way you would write it. And then it's up to us to keep up. The good thing is, because I'm writing about something that's made in America, I'm, I've constantly got my head in American paperwork. So I've kind of got used to mentally swiveling between the two anyway. But yeah, 
trying to keep up is a challenge and something that's that's always going to go wrong. I try not to worry. I think I'm just uh, so much in heavy research mode when I'm writing this book. I'm in that place where I'm trying to make the facts as accurate and precise as possible. And I go with that mantra. If if I can't find a citation, it didn't happen. There has to be a quote for everything. Uh, no kind of everyone knows X, Y, or Z. It's, I, I really go down to that level of depth and detail that then that starts to spill out into the actual, the construction of the book. And yeah, I, I start to think about making it the best worded, the best written book possible. Maybe unnecessarily, but that's just because that's that's the headspace I'm in when I'm researching. I mean, it's good that you think about that sort of stuff, but it's also, um, and this is something with anyone who edits or puts something together or creates something, most people are not going to be even thinking about it. No. no like no, you no. switching no. back and forth between those, most people aren't going to think about the fact that you're switching between these kinds of spellings. It's, you know, whatever works best for you, honestly. I will notice, though. It will bother me. <laughs> yeah, so find uh, like a standard that you can live with and just make sure it's internally consistent and you'll be fine. But Allison's right, because there's things that I just obsess over when I'm trying to release an episode of the show. And I think nobody, nobody is even paying attention to this. And you're making it like, you know, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And everything you're doing is very, very, very good. So if it's not perfect, you're a human being. It's fine. You know, so the other thing that I wanted to ask you about, since you're talking about sort of that process and the way it lays out in the book and correct me if I'm wrong, like every entry for each episode had what, two pages in the original volume? Uh, they, they vary between two and four pages. Each episode has a book now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I want to know, since you have all of this new extraneous material, has it forced you to sort of reevaluate the old layout and create that from scratch to accommodate all of the new information? Or are you trying to emulate and expand on? Like, what what's the process of actually creating the book that we're going to get in our hands? So I've not removed anything apart from the whole second half of the book, but that's coming another time. Um, <laughs> that's, that's fine. That'll, that'll be down away. Um, but yeah, I, I started going through just sneaking in extra bits here and there and doing it in a different colour as well. So over the last six years, I've been slowly watching it change from black to red to a point where so much of some of the entries are in red. I was uh, starting to wonder what had been in the first edition. And then this time round, the last like the last few weeks, I've been going through every entry and, and rereading them and recrafting a lot of the text because quite a lot of it, it was obvious to me that stuff had been grafted on and it just didn't flow right. So I ended up rewriting a lot to, I think, a stronger standard. That was certainly the aim. But did you have to significantly expand every entry to accommodate the new stuff? And I ask this for a specific reason. When you're working in news, you always have to hit sort of a word count and um, like a time, especially if you're in broadcast. Like this yeah. can't be more than 20 seconds. But I just got 17 paragraphs of new information. Well, fuck you, pal. Make it work. You got 20 seconds. Yeah. What is your standard? Like do you have to like keep it to two to four pages or are you able to say, well, now I have seven pages worth of material, so let's just put it all. 
Yeah, so this this is why I've never approached a a publisher with this book because for this at least it's such a labor of love. I can't have those kind of reality checks. Like <laughs> hang on, we we can't put this on the we can't put this on the shelves. It's ridiculously big. So my limit, my only limiting factor is that I have never been able to find a printer in the UK that will bind more than 800 pages. And that's it. That that's my limit. 800 pages total. How I do that? Well, that that's been changing over time. The first edition because there was all of the appendices in it as well, and a lot of information, I ended up using eight-point text, which was hard on the eyes after a long time, but it was the only way of squeezing it all in. It's one of the reasons why I've switched to two volumes, so that I can add in more text and make the typeface bigger. And I'm also now just starting to work with someone on layout. This goes back to the desire to make it the best book it can be. I laid out the first edition myself, and I'm I'm not a designer by any means i've got someone on board who is really keen to do the layout we're working on it this week so i I can't say for definite this is going to happen because she might start working on it and say this is crazy this is 800 pages um but if that all comes uh through then she'll be helping me by saying right you've given me all this text here's the best way of squeezing it in but she knows, because I've already had a, a very upfront discussion with her, I'm not editing any of this stuff. You've got to try and find a way of making this look pretty and fitting it into 800 pages. And the, there's no... Yeah, I'm not going to start removing stuff just because. Because to my mind, some of it may be interesting to someone. And yeah, I know when you're you're actually in a professional environment, you have to pick and choose, and that sucks. But that's the reality of it. Because this is a hobby, I don't care if there's half a page that only one person finds interesting. As long as one person finds interesting, that's fine. I put together, I think it's probably going to be about a quarter of a page, but a quarter of a page yesterday on the history of one of the boxing posters that Sam walks past in Leap of Faith. I discovered that poster's turned up in about 30 different TV shows over the years. So I've done a little little tangent about all the times that Mason and McCook have fought each other over the years. I discovered it was in um, Star Trek Sitting on the Edge of Forever, and then I started Googling and discovered that that was just the start of it, and it's it's been in a lot of other TV shows. Poster lore, yeah. It showed up in Picard, too. Yes. Just so that they could have a reference to Sitting on the Edge of Forever. I am into this. That kind of thing. No, no publisher in their right mind would let me take up a third of a page talking about a poster that Sam walks past, but I was like, you know what? Because they're it's, cowards. It's there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, yeah, it does mean that when people say to me, oh, is is there anything missing from the book? Is there anything like, oh, I wish it had more of X, Y, or Z in it? It's just because genuinely I didn't know stuff. If it's missing, it's because I, I don't have it. I can't access it. If the information's there, it's in the book. I, I just don't stop. I cannot wait to get my greedy little hands on this book. Thank you. I'm. I mean, I do uh, go back to the first edition and like um, sift through it when I'm looking for certain information. But I haven't read through the entire book since uh, you first released it six years ago. So it'll be nice reading the second edition because I'll have forgotten pretty much everything. So it'll be a nice refresher, and then I can use all these uh, factoids, steal them for the podcast for my own. Do it. Do it. Because <laughs> usually by the time we get to the podcast, I've forgotten all this stuff. 
Yeah, I'll be like, I'll snipe you. I'll get him, and then you're like, oh, I had the, the ready, and then I'll be like, ah, factoid, and I'll jump in front of you. I'm like, yeah, I had it all along. I learned today, and this was, again, while uh, Hayden was doing some proofing, uh, he shared with me that Pythagoras, who gets referenced in one episode, I can't even remember which one now. Pool Hall Blues, I remember. That's it, thank you. <laughs> so, Pool Hall Blues now has a short reference to the fact that uh, Pythagoras was um, petrified of beans. <laughs> Wait, what? Because Hayden shared that with me, and I was like, you know, that's so cool. That's got to go in. <laughs> He's petrified of beans? <laughs> Did you verify that independently, sir? Yes. <laughs> All right. Everything in the book is verified. I won't I won't take any, oh, everyone knows that. I know that Hayden Hayden is a math teacher, so he knows his maths. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I trusted him implicitly. Is that where we get the term bean counter, or is that... <laughs> <laughs> I remember the quote where they mention it, that Pythagoras were going to play some pool, and then the cut line where he says, and he was also petrified of beans. Yeah. <laughs> he thought beans had, like, spirit. I, I started Googling this. So that's all Hayden told me was that he was petrified of beans. So I started Googling and discovered that, like, Pythagoras thought there was evil spirits in them or something. What? I don't know. <laughs> Did you write all of this stuff in the book? Because I need to know the exact story here with these beans. <laughs> oh, maybe I maybe I need to expand that. I made it a very short bit, but you need to expand on it, or you're full of beans. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. You have your marching orders, sir. He also, and again, I'm I'm. This is another one of these things. I'm quoting Hayden here, so all credit to him. But everything anyone tells me, I, I independently verify as well. So this is true. Uh, he killed one of his followers for proving the existence of irrational numbers. Shit! What? <laughs> Which is such a such a cool reason to go crazy and kill someone. Yeah, that is an irrational response to irrational numbers. <laughs> I know. Gotta really? say, this whole section you got to make a whole section. You got to call it O beans. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not talking about Pythagoras. <laughs> so yeah, I promise to anyone listening that's starting to like move away from the Kickstarter. I promise, 99% of the book is directly about Quantum Leap, but just occasionally. <laughs> Go off on these slight tangents. But this is the kind of stuff you get. I appreciate that stuff is in there. The more into the minutiae you get, the better, you know? Like, I'm going <laughs> yes. to appreciate Pool Hall Blues better now. It's hilarious. When I hear that line, I'm <laughs> exactly. going to think about Pythagoras being scared of beans. Because <laughs> evil yes. bean spirits or whatever. Demon beans. I never knew he was such a loser. Wow. So you're talking about the Kickstarter. That's where I sort of wanted to wind up with this because you've had phenomenal success. You launched this thing like within 10 hours, you were fully funded. And I want you to make the case for everybody listening why they should go and keep funding it. So I don't know how Kickstarter really works. Like, so you're fully funded. Do you have stretch goals? Like, so you made the amount that you wanted to make to say, I can make this book now. Yeah. as you make more, what can you add that you didn't think that you would be able to do if you just met that original goal? Like, if you had double the money, would it be a different book completely? How does all that work? Well, I, I've i not put too much thought to it yet because I was not expecting the response to be what it is. I thought it was going to be I, – I said a 60-day – Window. Actually, let's go back because you said you're not not overly familiar with um, Kickstarter and some of our listeners might not be as well. So the whole point of this is you pledge money and there's a few different uh, things you can pledge for. You can pledge for a, a book or a signed copy of the book or a book plus a chat with me over Zoom, um, various different things at different levels. 
and your card doesn't get charged immediately. It's just you committing to do it. And then at the end of the 60-day window, and I set the maximum amount of time because I was really worried that people weren't going to go for this. So the fact that we were funded within 10 hours was a bit of a surprise. Um, at the end of the 60 days, everyone's cards get charged. Is that why I didn't see the hit on my card? Thank you. I was wondering, do I have too much money in my account? Do I have not enough money in my account? Oh, yeah. No, no. <laughs> so you've not been billed for it because... In theory, at the point that you you pledged, um, we might not have made the funding goal. And if we don't make the funding goal, I don't get the money. It just, we failed. That's it. It's done. I walk away into the sunset. Sad. And even though we've met the goal now, people have the opportunity to go in and cancel or downgrade. So I've met the goal for now, but that's got to keep going for the next 60 days. So please, if you're listening to this and you've you've pledged, do not cancel because right now we're just over the goal. So that's that's a good place to be in, but we need to we need to stay there. It's only what happens on that final day, on that day 60. Does has everyone still pledged? Do we still have it? Then if we've got the three thousand pounds, which was the limit, if that three thousand pounds is is there, cards get charged, everything starts going into motion. And what happens then is Kickstarter take their fee, the money gets passed to me, and then I use that money to print the books so I can do a a mass order with the printers. And the printers, as you might expect, will charge less per book depending on volume. So the more people pledge, the less it costs me to get printed up. But there's a set price you're all paying. Generally, the the base price for this, I've said, is £30. But the books actually get cheaper. Right. Now, what I'm not doing is just taking a bigger cut and saying, hurrah, I'm going to go to the Bahamas. What I'll do instead is upgrade the quality of the book. So what I based my original budget on was good quality paper, not amazing stock, but good enough, and 20 colour pages throughout so most of the pages will be black and white because most of it's text, so that's fine. But then 20 inserts throughout uh, for where there's there's good pieces of artwork. But there's still quite a few pieces of art and images that would be in black and white. The more pages that I switch to colour, the more expensive the books become. So I'm essentially offsetting the two. The volume discount, I'm going to just shift towards getting more colour pages in. So at the very least... Even if I don't think of any other stretch goals, and I've got 58 days to think of other stretch goals now, but at the very least, I can start making the book more colourful, more appealing, maybe higher quality paper, and so on. But I am open to other ideas of how I can spend the money, because, yeah, ultimately, if I just produce the book as originally planned, there will be money left over in the pot, and what can I do with that to say thank you to the people that have pledged? Um, There's... Maybe some options there, but uh, if not, then yeah, a higher quality book. Well, higher quality is always a good goal. So I mean, it was it was yeah. already a good quality to begin with, and yeah, it was. If you can just add, you know, add more. Yeah, exactly. Let, let me tell you. I, I mean, I was just excited how quickly you got to that goal. After that, everything's just gravy, you know. Like it's like. <laughs> I was it was like I don't know Super Bowl Sunday or like the like <laughs> the New Year's countdown all of us sitting in Facebook like look it's going up it's going up yeah 
I'm gonna hit the goal and then you're like i gotta go to bed and then we're sitting here like it's almost there <laughs> i literally had the website open i was editing uh the test episode and i had a little window of your kickstarter page and every time it it changes in real time as you look at it so it's just like oh matt's got some more matt's got some more and i'm just like i stopped editing just to watch to see when it was going to tip when is it going to tip when is it going to tip <laughs> yeah and we're sitting there we're looking at it in american dollaroos and he's sitting looking at it in, in european dollars and we're like what these don't match up now because it's, it's it's didn't convert it where is it at right now <laughs> yeah that, that, that was an exciting night um and yeah, especially because I knew that there was a couple of people that had committed to uh, to pledging in the first few minutes. So the first couple came in. I thought, yeah, I know who these people are. That's fine. But I'd already started formulating backup plans for what happens at the end of the sixty days when you know only ten people have pledged. So what you talking about? Ten people? It was like eighty people last I looked. I'm sure it's more now. Hot dog! You're like over uh, over a grand over what the goal was currently. Yeah. It's um yeah it's over I think it's about ninety people now and yeah about a grand over um, but like I say I can't I can't relax because some of those people might change their minds nearer the time and and cancel down and so it'll it'll come down it's just we've just got to keep it above that three thousand otherwise yeah the it just just fails at the end of the sixty days and it's not like I get the money of the people that are still pledging nobody gets their books and nobody gets their card charged. It's all or nothing. We gotta go. We gotta get this second edition, guys. Yeah. I, I'm quietly confident with the fact that we're yeah we're at around about four thousand pounds now. That gives me some confidence. So congrats, man. Happy for you. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about this because I've tried different creative things in the past, but aside from selling foreknowledge when I was a little kid, um, <laughs> I have not had any kind of creative <laughs> success in my life. So to see like you. Put this out there and for it to take off like boom, boom goes the dynamite. It just, I'm living vicariously through you right now. It's just like he did something creative and people like it and they're supporting it. It's yeah. just like, I'm so happy for you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so, I'm so glad to be associated with you, to be honest. You're, you're the hometown hero of the Quantum Leap podcast. I know that guy. I know that guy. That's Matt. <laughs> Remember us, little people. And your success. <laughs> to, to give everyone a, a behind-the-scenes look, because we, we sort of alluded to this, there was a, a chat thread going on between us three, the Fates Wide Wheel guys, and uh, a couple of other people that have been interested in, in helping out on social that evening. And I was just so grateful like as as we were watching it going up and it was like I've just written a book. At the end of the day, the quality of the book remains to be seen when it gets to the people. Right now, the people that are pledging, it's all because of the amazing work that you guys have done going out there and saying, go and pledge! And all the cross-promotion, the fact that Alice and you went and retweeted to your 30 million followers or whatever it is. <laughs> so it was just, there was such a buzz in that chat thread that night because it was down to all of us. That wasn't just me. That was a, a whole group effort and shows what an awesome place fandom is. It's so good. It's such a warm, fuzzy feeling. It really is. So now that you are assured that you at least you have your base goal met, anyway, the numbers say it now, regardless of what happens. Yeah. Yeah. You know, 30 days from now. Are you going to do a second cover? Like, I'm thinking you're going to use the string cheese, uh, string cheese, listen to me, <laughs> string theory fonts. 
as opposed to the Swiss cheese font. Yeah, so um, the lady who's hopefully going to be doing the internal layout is also talking about um, doing a cover design. And yeah, for sure, the new typeface will definitely be the one used for the logo. And uh, Barry, who created that typeface, is is playing around with the logo as we speak. Thank you, Barry. Thank you. We know you're listening. Yeah, uh, definitely that that old typeface will be nowhere to be seen because that that was one of the things that bothered me about the first edition. That was not a perfect typeface. So yes, we'll have a better logo as well. Uh, But that'll be a a joint effort between Barry and our our new layout designer. And maybe you get enough money, you commission a new illustration just to make it stand out a little bit from the first edition. That makes the first edition more collectible because it has the original art. And then you have the second edition. And then if you have yeah. other first editions, you can sell them on eBay for a million dollars. Well, yeah, sadly, I'm I'm all out of first editions now. But <laughs> that's uh, – no, that, I, ideally, I'd like to do that. I love the first edition artwork. But, yeah, I'd like to do something new just, just because it's the second edition. And also to recognize the fact that it's now two volumes on the – to have something distinctly different between volume one and volume two that tie in together. I feel like volume two of the second edition is going to have a cover of uh, a Mr. Scott Bakula and a Mr. Raymond Lee shaking hands in a Fermi suit. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> oh, hey, I like it. <laughs> you got to put them in one of, like a, a Mystery Science Theater get along sweater where it's like they're like in a sweater with two ho- head holes <laughs> that they're wearing together. Yes. Yeah. When you said shaking hands in a Fermi suit, that just gave me. I gave realized. Me yeah. It made me think of the thing with two heads with Rosie Greer. <laughs> you, you have to draw them side by side with them as their fathers. <laughs> History repeating itself. I'm stoked. I'm stoked. What a great time to be a fan. What a great time. Um, yeah, you know what? It's great to be me and Chris, right? Yeah. Because yeah. there's the, uh, there's the book coming out and there's a series coming out. Uh, Matt and all the, the people making the series, uh, putting all this content out. We just got to watch it and be greedy little fans. Like, yeah, get to read this book. Get to watch the show. Okay. We talk about it and judge it. Then we get to be judgy. Ju- then we got to be like, mm, here's my thoughts on this. <laughs> <laughs> you did all the hard work. Now I'm going to shit on it because that's what I do. Yeah, we're going to be like, mm, here's how I would have done it because I'm eating my chips or whatever. <laughs> you think it's easy to shit on this? <laughs> if the new show doesn't have Pythagoras leaping into some beans, I'll be disappointed. <laughs> I'll be reading your book, Matt, like, idiot, I found an error. <laughs> Let me tell you something about beans, sir. (laughs) You fool. You've mistaken navy beans for pinto beans. And what about cowboy beans? Did those show up in tests? I think not. (laughs) Oh, boy. Ah, beans. (laughs) This is alternate dimension, Chris. If instead of um, radios, it's it's beans that you were obsessed (laughs) over. Every episode, you're like, this is an anachronistic beam. <laughs> I do love beans. <laughs> As my wife often says, you're full of beans. So <laughs> anyway, see, this was my plan from the get-go because I knew none of us were really sort of thinking of specific things. And I have been obsessed with the journey of the second edition of BTMI. So there was no way that this fangent was not going to be about the second edition of BTMI. So, ah, it's been so great, like messaging you guys as we go along. Oh my god, I, I found something random out and, and sharing these little factoids as they come to mind. So it's been great having you along. 
And uh, me and Chris, fans of you. That's what the fangent's about. That's Aww. it. Yep. Big Matt Dale fans. Wow. So why don't you tell everybody who's listening where they might go support this if they haven't already, Matt? So the best thing to do is uh, there, there isn't a nice, clean URL. So the best thing to do is go to kickstarter.com and search for Beyond the Mirror Image. You'll find two campaigns. One of them is uh, six years old now, and you cannot accidentally pledge on that. So don't worry. Uh, just look for the one that has the big logo saying second edition. Um, so yeah, kickstarter.com, Beyond the Mirror Image. Super simple from there, uh, if you've never done Kickstarter before, to just sign up and and pledge. But you can also message me through there as well, and I'll, I'll give you help with anything you need. And to make it even more super simple, I'm going to include a direct link to the proper campaign in the show notes for this episode. So everybody who's listening, if you want to go to the Patreon page and pull up uh, the page for this show, you can click right through to the proper page on Kickstarter. And uh, you'll get to see, hey, are we now $5,000 above the goal? $6,000 above the goal? I'm sorry, pounds. And it would be 4000 and 5000 not 5000 because the exchange rate. But anyway, yeah. um, I'm just looking for it to go as high as possible so that this can be a four-color press job. That's it. Yes. Like, the text can be orange because I have the money to do four-color throughout. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the end goal gets so much money that you do an audiobook version narrated by Scott Bakula. There <gasps> you go. That's the stretch goal. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's the stretch goal. Yeah, it's funny because you're you're calling up some stuff from my past. I used to, when I was a kid, my first job was like sweeping up in a printing press. And I got to know about four-color jobs. And, okay, if you have four-color on this, on this, you have to have four-color on this. Like, they have to be printed together. So it goes into the way you bind the book. It goes into the way hmm. you lay everything out. So the fact that you're introducing more four-color stuff – that's not just, hey, this is great. Now you have to go back and say, okay, how do I fix the layout so that we can have the four color where it belongs? Because you can only yeah. do it on like certain groupings of pages and everything's got to go by fours. And I get it, man. It's a scene. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's a big yeah. job. And you're but talking 800 fucking, 800 fucking pages. <laughs> like what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But you're right. It is worth it. So everybody, you know, pledge it so that he doesn't have to worry about grouping it. It can just be four color throughout. That's what I would go for. And then Scott Bakula. That's the dream. Yeah. That's the dream. As the universe has told us, four color first, Scott Bakula second, (laughs) family third, God fourth. All right? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm encouraging everybody who's listening right now, we know – that you are patrons and that you have supported the podcast. Otherwise, you would not be here hearing this. But I encourage all of you to go that extra mile and go to Matt's Kickstarter and support the second edition of BTMI because it is going to be as invaluable, more invaluable than the first edition of BTMI has proved to be, which we saw when we interviewed Deborah fucking Pratt clutching a copy of BTMI with like with post-its sticking out of it saying this is what I need to get right that was the (laughs) happiest moment of my life never tell my son I said that (laughs) (laughs) he's gonna be listening back to this podcast uh, coincidentally before you ever listen to it and he's gonna be like what (laughs) what up with that dad (laughs) (laughs) so you've 
You've gotten your call. You hear it now. You can be part of history. This is very, very big doings in the Quantum Leap fandom community, and uh, we want it to be as big as it deserves to be. Matt, thank you for all the work you've done. Thanks, man. Thank you for keeping this alive and for just having the gumption to do yet not just a second edition, but expanding it so significantly. I can't wait for the third edition all about the new series. It's going to be amazing. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's mad. I'm already working on that as well. I'm sure you are. <laughs> QuantumLeapInfo.net is sort of a, a public beta of it, but uh, there's a there's a properly written up. Um, that I've actually got an episode guide to the pilot already written, just based on the script. So that that exists. That's going to be the lost pilot. So that's going to be apocrypha. Well, yes. But you see, it never ends. You're right. It never ends. So everybody uh, who's hearing my voice right now, Matthew Dale is worth your investment. Go to that Kickstarter campaign and um, give him what you can because this is so much fun. And we get to do this now as fans. I mean, we're in an environment where something like this can happen because we want it to happen. It's like it's like podcasting. It's like yeah. it's just it's just the whole the amazing time we live in right now as fans, it, it's unparalleled. It's unparalleled. We get to listen to what we want to because we decide what we want to support. I, for one, am an advocate of uh, supporting Matthew Dale. So have I talked you up enough, do you think? Oh, more than enough. Very kind of <laughs> you, sir. It's not kind. It's genuine. And uh, thanks, Matt, for opening up. I know that you're in the middle of it, and I kind of put you on the spot here, but I really was just genuinely curious about sort of the process and what's going on and, and everything. So when you are committed and you've finished after the 60 days, what do you um, think the publishing date will be? Do you have a, a projected publishing date in mind? So I officially, I'm aiming for November. A lot of that depends on the, the time taken to do the layout because the, the text will be locked down in the next couple of weeks. But then it's, yeah, it's over to, to making uh, 800 pages look nice. So no, November is the target. Ah, crafty, just in time for Christmas. Hmm. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah, get two <laughs> we'll, for Christmas. We'll be a couple months into the new show. We'll be on such a quantum leap high. I can't wait. Oh, I can't wait. I just can't wait to see it. So congratulations, man. Congratulations. I'm I'm proud. I'm proud of you. Thank you. All right. I think I think this is the end of uh this fangent. This is good stuff. This is Mattgent. The Matt special. That's something else entirely. <laughs> <laughs> and we will end on that note. I have been Christopher DeFolibus. <laughs> I've been Elsa Bregler. <laughs> and I've been Matt Dale. And we'll see you next time. I can't wait to figure out what the Matt special is. Bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to know. <laughs>